Hello, I'm Rhiannon. You're listening to Global Questions, the podcast breaking down international news and politics. Today on the show, part six of our in-depth series on technology. The digital divide is about access. That's because the big telecom companies tend to go first where the big profit is. And that's usually not in low population or low income areas. They're left scrambling for alternatives. Across the globe, people have varying levels of access to modern information and communications technology. This access compounded by geography, gender, class, and disability. This is what we know as the digital divide. So how can international organizations and states help bridge the global digital divide to create a more equal world? And what role should private companies play? If I'm in a developing country, and I see these Chinese American companies come in, and I have no say, I'm going to view that as a new form of economic and also social colonialism. Today, I'm joined by Dr. George Ingram, a senior fellow at the Center for Sustainable Development at the Brookings Institution in Washington, DC. We chat about what the digital divide is and how it's characterized, the impact of COVID on technology inequalities, and how the international community can start to bridge this divide. Dr. Ingram, welcome to the Global Questions podcast. Uh, thank you very much. It's, a, it's an honour to be here. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today as this is our last in-depth episode um, on this season in technology. So we'll be talking about the digital divide today. To start us off, are you able to kick us off with a brief introduction as to who you are, your work, and how you came to be interested in international development and how it relates to technology? Very good. I spent the first half of my career, 20 years, working in the U.S. Congress, um, handling international economic issues. My, my academic background is in both political science and international economics. Uh, and then I worked at USAID for a few years, and I worked for a large U.S. NGO doing international education. And for the last 10 years, I've been at the Brookings Institution, and my interests really narrowed from broad international economic issues about 30 years ago to specifically to development, which I sort of see as, as such a critical element of it advancing world prosperity and stability. Amazing. Look, you've, you've definitely achieved a lot <laughs> in your time. So by way of introducing this topic, can you explain what the digital divide is and perhaps how it's characterised in terms of things like geography and gender and class and disability and so on? So the digital divide is the disparity in capabilities and access across a number of levels. One of them, as you mentioned, is geography. Actually, with geography, it plays out at three levels. It plays out between developing countries and more developed countries. It plays out between large countries and small island and isolated countries, and between urban and rural areas. Secondly, it plays out at the income level. In a study I did last year, not unexpectedly, I found a high correlation between digital access and capabilities with income level, with the poorest countries having the least access and the more advanced countries the greatest access. It plays out in gender. 
with across the board men having greater access than women. When you combine these three divides, country, income, and gender, what you find is that the gender gap in internet use is modest in developed countries at 88% for men and 86% for women. Not too far off parity. But the gap widens to 49% for men and 40% for women in developing countries, and then widens further for the least developed countries at 28% for men and 15% for women. The same is true when you combine different forms of geography which again is really combining income and the urban rural. Developing countries, the divide is 87% access in urban areas, 81% in rural areas. But then when you go to developing countries, the overall divide is 65% for urban dwellers versus 28% for rural. I won't go into any detail, but other disparities are in language. An awful lot of the internet is in English and a few other key languages. Education, the better educated have a more digitally literate, and the disabled have difficulty gaining access to the internet. Hmm. Definitely sounds like it's compounded in, in various ways and a big kind of intersection of lots of inequalities. So we've seen kind of a lot of shifts globally in recent years. Um, So I'm wondering, has COVID highlighted and exacerbated the existing digital divide? COVID has highlighted in stark relief these divides and the extent to which our lives increasingly are being lived online. Individuals with access to digital technology have been able to continue with work, continue with school at home. Those without access have lost out on earnings, learning, social connections. It's estimated that students in developing countries have probably lost a whole year of learning, and particularly for girls, many of them will never get back to school. Um, In the business area, some have been able to transform their operations to function online and have actually benefited from COVID, while others have lost business and even gone bankrupt. We've seen internationally lots of private companies proposing solutions to the digital divide, such as, you know, Facebook's free basics program. How do you view these solutions? Do you think the pros outweigh the cons, or is it a bit more complicated than that? Well, there clearly is a tension between the profit motive of a private company and a public good. The supposed purpose of free basics was to offer low-income groups free access to the web, Um, a a well-intended purpose. But that comes into conflict with the reality of the constraints that come with how Facebook implemented it. The reality being a loss of net neutrality is only a few sites selected by Facebook are accessible. The heavy presence of Western corporate content, because it was mainly American sites that were accessible. The absence of data privacy. Free basics harvest vast amount of metadata. 
and individuals have no decision-making over how that data is used. Fourthly, you can't count on the private company providing a public good and then staying with it if it doesn't sink in with the company's profitability. You know, the real barriers to internet access are the availabilities of a signal, ownership of device, education, particularly digital literacy, and electricity. And none of those are dealt with in any of these private solutions. It's a wonderful idea, but you know, Facebook refused to share the underlying data on use and its strategy for how it was going to implement it. So there wasn't a lot of trust in the way it was rolled out. Do you love global questions? Then you'd be happy to know that we run events all through the year. Find us on your socials. Search Young Diplomat Society to keep up to date with upcoming events. Kind of on private companies, wondering what you think of the notion that behaviours of companies of big tech, we're talking Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Alibaba and Tencent, and their behaviours in the global south can amount to a form of digital colonialism. Do you think there's any truth to that statement? Sure, there's truth to that. But let me broaden the question a little bit. How one views the dominance of Silicon Valley, a few Chinese companies, depends on where you sit. And if I'm in a developing country and I see these Chinese American companies come in that are prevalent throughout the world and I have no say, I'm going to view that as a new form of economic and also social colonialism. So just like original colonialism, except without the military aspect. Now, (laughs) if I'm sitting in Europe and elsewhere, I'm not going to be concerned about American colonialism or Chinese colonialism in my country. I'm going to be concerned about the monopoly. I'm going to be concerned about an American monopoly over something that affects my life, and neither I nor my government has any real influence on it. Mm -hmm. So there's a real tension between the advantages and the scale that goes with these high-tech companies. There's a real tension between the advantages and the disadvantages. And so this kind of leads on to my last question. We're talking about the international implications of the digital divide. So how should the international community and states go about trying to address the global digital divide? Can't you offer me a simpler question? (laughs) I wish I could. (laughs) I see four things that the global community can do. One is to promote what is called global public goods. The international community needs to be supporting the development of digital public goods, software that is open source, open standards, and readily available to everybody. Secondly, as part of that, the global community in both the public and private sectors need to support the new movement of of signing on to a digital public goods charter. This is something that a series, a handful of donors are promoting. 
Um, and we will see probably in the fall at the UN General Assembly uh, a side event rolling out this digital public goods charter. Thirdly, we need more and better government regulation. The government's not going to take over the internet, but the internet is like a public utility. It's like water and sewer and gas, telephone service, even toll roads, where the large scale of a few companies providing the digital capabilities and supporting the internet have to be regulated by the public interest through, through good government rules and regulations. And finally, uh, the donors, public and private, need to provide developing countries with greater assistance. But the bulk of that assistance really should be grant assistance to help reach the last mile. The digital divide we talked about at the beginning, the poor women, people who live in rural areas, and develop local content. Mm. Dr. Ingram, that's a lot of great advice there. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast episode today. If our listeners want to know more about you, read some of your work or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way, I hate to say this, is to go to Google <laughs> and type in Brookings and my name, George Ingram, and everything I've written over the last 10 years is uh, preserved and they will see way more than they ever want to access. But that's, that's <laughs> the best way to, to see what I've been up to. Great. And we'll link everything in, the, in our episode description. George, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for those thoughtful questions. That's all for this week's in-depth episode and for the season on technology. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing you all this season and we couldn't have done it without you listeners. So from the Global Questions team, a big thank you. While this season is over, please check out our Instagram page as well as the YDS social media accounts for all updates. Bye everyone. <laughs>